Well, good morning again. It is a. Uh, it was a beautiful morning after a really rainy day yesterday. So I, as it was like, I was seeing some sun and a little bit of clouds, and I knew that as I was going to drive, kind of down 189, I was going to be able to see so clearly, like the mountains on the other side and the lake, and I was grateful for that. Because I've been praying all week. I was like, God, please don't let it be raining on Easter. Uh, you know, we want to do the Easter egg hunt. And it's just not the same when you have to, like, put all the chairs up and then hide the eggs in the room. Because that's just a lot harder to... It's a lot easier to find them. Uh, and it, there's just a little bit less, I think, joy that goes into that versus being able to be outside and do it. But, uh, you know, today is, it is a day of celebration. Because as we've said already... We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, right? We, we celebrate His triumph over sin, over our sin. And, and because of the hope we've received when He rose from the dead, we celebrate. And so for that reason, I, I've titled this morning's sermon, From Tragedy to Triumph. Alright? And, and my, I have two points this morning. I only have two points. But my, my first point is, uh, I want to spend a little bit of time getting us in touch with the tragedy of the cross. Alright? Because it's only, I think, when we do so that we can really appreciate the sheer magnitude of Jesus' triumph and resurrection. Right? And what it means for us, it, it, it's, it's huge. And so that's why as we, we focus on, the first part is going to be on the, the tragedy, but the second part is going to be on the triumph. That'll be point two. So point one is the the tragedy scene. Let me realize I now have the clicker it's hidden right here in front of my face. Uh, so point one is the tragedy scene. Now, if you if you would, if you've got your Bible, please turn over to Matthew twenty seven. Uh, it's not going to be up on the screen because it is going to be a good chunk of text and. I wasn't going to put it in, in multiple slides this, this morning, but I will read it for you if you don't have a Bible. You know, my goal this morning is to really help us appreciate, as I said, the, the magnitude of how, of really this beautiful tragedy that is the cross. And, th- and that seems like an oxymoron in many ways, but, uh, I hope that we can all realize, you know, what it is that Jesus has done for us. Amen. So, Matthew 27, we're going to start in verse 26. This is Jesus before Pilate. It says, uh, Then he, being Pilate, released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium, gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews! They said, they spit on him, and they, they took the staff and they struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. 
Then they led him away to crucify him. As they were going out, they met a man named, from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed this written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And in the same way, the robbers who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, He is calling Elijah. Immediately one of them ran and got a sponge and filled it with wine vinegar, put it on a stick and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. You know, we've picked up this passage Right after Jesus' trial is finished. And he's, he's just in the day prior to this shared the Last Supper with his friends. And in that time, one of his, his close friends went ahead and betrayed him. Judas went and, and turned him over, told the, told the guards, told the Pharisees, told them where they could find Jesus. And, and when the, the soldiers came, and when the guards came, they came with their clubs, and they came with their spears, and they came with their, their torches to come and get Jesus, right? His, his, uh, the rest of his best friends up and deserted him. They, they abandoned him in fear. And at this point, now he's been officially condemned, right? He's, and he's now died on the cross. You know, he's, he's been beaten, stripped, mocked, crucified, and at this point he's breathed his last. This is a tragedy. A tragedy because someone who is innocent has had to experience this. Can, can you see it? You know, when you look at what has happened... Here is the the most innocent man who has ever lived 
receiving the most cruelty and injustice that's ever been given. Every day of his life leading up to this this fateful Friday, right? Jesus has spent his life loving people. Truly loving people. Every every single person he comes in contact with, he has loved them. He was was gentle and kind and patient and self-controlled to those who needed that. He spoke the way he needed to speak to those who needed to be spoken to strongly. He, He gave them what they needed out of love. But he was full of goodness, known for his faithfulness in all circumstances. He gave sight to the blind. He gave food to the poor. He proclaimed freedom for prisoners. He treasured every individual, especially the outcasts, the marginalized, the downtrodden, the tax collectors who were, who were outcasts of their society. As you see in, in Zacchaeus, you see the woman at the well, if you know this story, she's an outcast of her community. And yet Jesus speaks to her and brings her in. You think of Mary Magdalene, as they just referred to her as the sinful woman. And and those were the types of people that Jesus was sure to love. And through his reliance on God, he was able to navigate every challenge, every temptation, and, and every relationship with holiness, with righteousness, and with love. I would ask you, do you do that? Think of the best person you know. Do they do that? But this was Jesus Coming to live the perfect life, never having sinned, and experiencing this. It's a tragedy. You know, Jesus had never broken the law. Never broken the law of the land, right? If he'd had a car, he wouldn't have driven over the, speeding li- the speed limit, I'm guessing. Right? It's, it's, he, he was going to obey. He did obey the law of the land. He, he followed every command of the Jewish law and never even sinned against another person. <clears throat> Ever. That, I mean, I just can't even fathom that. On my best day, I'm not, uh, my best day ever, I'll never be close to that. Right? And yet here he is, it says he was flogged, spat on, mocked and tortured. He didn't deserve any of this. But did anyone see and understand the tragedy happening before their eyes. I don't think many really understood what exactly was going on. You know, on Monday, uh, maybe some of you know, maybe some of you don't, on Monday, Notre Dame Cathedral caught on fire. And this is a 850-year-old, I mean, architectural masterpiece. Visited by 13 million people a year. It took 182 years to build this. Master craftsmen spending thousands and thousands of hours of their finest work from inception to completion. 183 years. And in a few hours, it just came crumbling down. And and of course, not the whole thing, but so much was destroyed. So much just done, undone so quickly. And, and it, people all over the world felt the shock of this. You know, people looking at this beautiful, unique, significant thing being destroyed. 
Kristen called me and said, do you know Notre Dame is on fire? I'm in the basement. I said, what? I ran upstairs and I guess my son was with me. He could tell how strongly I already felt. I ran upstairs and he just started freaking out and crying like, what's wrong? Because he just felt my emotion in the moment that I had. And you think about the people of what they saw, the people of France and what they were doing. You know, in the streets of Paris, people stopped in their tracks with disbelief. Grief written across their faces. Crying out. People, people, some people walking by, and some people utterly in tears. You had people coming together, joined together in prayer, and they were singing songs out of reverence for what was unfolding in their eyes because they knew that what they were watching was a tragedy happening in front of them. Right? I wanted to look at a video really quick and, and I wanted to show you some of the people as they what they saw and how they reacted. Notice that many felt it appropriate even to get on their knees in this moment. Let's take a look at this. <laughs> see this and I don't know about you but these people just getting there and crying because of the loss of something beautiful you know these people saw the burning of Notre Dame I mean they were watching it in front of them and it stopped them in their tracks and it compelled them to kneel to pray to mourn to band together for support they reacted this way because they could feel in that moment that that what they were seeing, it was something of gravity happening. They knew that what they were seeing was tragic. And millions around the world joined them in their vigil. Many people glued to the coverage, making posts on social media, sharing about their solidarity with the people in Paris. They knew that Notre Dame was a one-of-a-kind masterpiece. And for it to be ruined instead of persevered and cherished was tragic. And yet, what about the cross? The cross, too, was a tragedy, right? Never has the distance between what was deserved and what occurred been so great. You have the the Messiah who has been prophesied for hundreds of years. We're not talking 183 years to build Notre Dame. We're talking a millennia. We're talking the creation of time. the, The hundreds of years of prophecy leading up to Jesus. And the Jews were waiting. And anticipation. And here you have the Savior on the cross. And did they see the magnitude of what was there? You know, the magnitude of Jesus, what was happening was so much more significant than the burning of a building. But who was there to see it and understand? Who was there to appreciate it, to kneel, to pray, to mourn, to join together in reverent vigil? There were some. 
There were some, but even they did not understand fully what was happening. The people of Israel, as I said, they've been waiting for so long for this prophesied Messiah. Their religious experts, who were the ones who had been speaking of the Messiah and the coming kingdom, and, and He's going to come and it's eventually going to happen. These were the people who put Him on the cross. The tragedy, one other tragedy, is not just the death of Jesus. It was the tragedy that the people who put their hope in Him were couldn't even see it. And they were missing what was right in front of their eyes. That's a tragedy. Do we see what's right in front of our eyes still? Of what the meaning of the cross is? You know, the Gentiles and the Romans who were crucifying Jesus, they couldn't care less. And But what's unique and interesting, if you read, is that even they, at the death of Jesus, saw some of the things that immediately happened and they go... Certainly this man was the Son of God. And yet, the religious people missed it. That's a tragedy. You know, I hope that you don't miss it in your life. I hope you don't miss what's going on, what Jesus really means, is to rather just be the religious that talk about it, and the others look and say, no, surely that's real. Because that, that would be a tragedy. You know, in this moment, Jesus deserved every knee to bow down in reverence, to hear every praise from every tongue. And instead, he got spit on, made fun of, and ignored. And yet he chose to go through the cross. Yet he could still, at that time, after all he was treated, say, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right? You know, I think for me, the reality is, I can get out of touch I've been out of touch at different times in my life, for sure, with the gravity of the cross. I grew up in in a denomination where I saw the crucifixion frequently. I mean, there was crosses and crucified Jesuses all over the place. All right? It was, it was nothing new and nothing surprising. We would go through the full act of the crucifixion, like, you know, in Sunday school, in this time of year, every time. And I just didn't get it. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. But it wasn't until I had some friends sit down with me and study the Bible. They taught me not from some play that they put out in front of me, but they opened the scriptures and they explained to me what was going on. They explained to me the why it was happening. And they helped me connect with the cross. You know, and I'd invite you, if you have not done that, if you've not had that experience, I'd, I'd love... We'd love to study the Bible with you. And if you're a Christian and you haven't, you're a part of the church and you haven't done that in a long time, I'd encourage you to get, find yourself a Bible study to try to be in and share it with someone else because it'll move you. Oftentimes when I do the cross, the people who, I usually have one other, you know, member, someone with me, and, and the person I'm studying the Bible with, and the person who cries the most, if it's not me, it's the person sitting there taking notes with me because they're just coming back being, right. This is so powerful. And, and you know, obviously the, the person studying as well has moved, but it's powerful the person in the study as well that's, that's taking notes. I just hope that we're not hardened to it. That we don't miss it. it because it's, it's the symbol of God's love. You know, 
Like Notre Dame, Jesus was magnificent. He was impressive. He was one of a kind. He was a masterpiece of humanity and, and divinity blended together in one humble physical form. And he chose to sacrifice himself for you and me. Right? He gave the best. He gave his best to cover over our worst. And this is a tragedy and the beauty of the cross. That he would do this for us. Right? And so as the few faithful disciples are, are watching this, you think of what they're seeing. All of their hopes, all of their dreams, their belief that this is the Messiah, the one we have waited for. He is here, He has come. And then suddenly now He is hanging on a cross. They have they got to be, they are devastated, broken, sobbing, those who are there, because they don't get it. Surely this is the greatest tragedy. This is the worst thing that could ever happen. And what they don't realize, that at this moment, that the crucifixion, that the, the tragedy of the crucifixion to God was just the linchpin of His triumph. That was where... He says, this is where my victory starts. Right here. And you don't understand. Because God never had the plan to leave Jesus in the grave. And I think that's point two, which is the triumph revealed. If you've got your Bible, turn over to Luke 24. How's everybody doing this morning? Luke 24, we're going to read through 1 through 12, and then we're going to jump a little bit in a moment. Starting in verse 1, point 2, says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body. They did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women, because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb, and bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. You know, 
It keeps going on from there where Jesus, he ends up showing himself to two other disciples. They, they walk along the road and he doesn't reveal himself right away. And they suddenly realize that it is him. And once he does, he, he like takes off. It says he disappeared from their eyes and they actually end up running back to Jerusalem that night. It seems like to go and tell the apostles and they show up and we're going to pick up after they are, they are right there. They've gotten back to the room and they're telling them about this. And this is what happens. And if you take note again, like I said, not even the, the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was doing. Even though he had told them, right? Even though he told them, this actually helps my self-esteem personally. So let's read this here in verse 36, right? We're just pick up in verse 36. It says, while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking that he was a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is, it is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? You know, they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in the name of in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You know. As I said, I think this makes me feel a little bit better because um, if you've ever struggled with doubt, and I love, Ralph did an amazing job in the communion this morning, but if you've ever struggled with doubt, right, uh, I have at different points, absolutely. And yet, what makes me feel better is these are the disciples who have traveled with Jesus for years. He's literally standing in front of them, and they're like, no. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. I mean, he, you know, the idea of him saying, do you have anything to eat? He's saying, I need, you know, that was ghosts didn't eat food. They weren't going to interact with the world in that way. It was just one other way that in their culture, they're like, let me prove to you I am here. I'm real. I'm in front of you. This is me. Now, I do also have to think like, I, I love this part of Jesus because I wonder it's it's like the this to me is probably one of the funniest scenes in the Bible. Uh, other accounts actually show that this was a locked room, uh, and so how Jesus this suddenly shows up in a locked room, and and I kind of hear it as he's like saying peace be with you, but I, it's kind of like hey guys how's it going, and they're just they all freak out. <laughs> And he's like, no, 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 it's me. Like, here's my hands, like, see my feet, like, this is my side, like, here's the hole. You know, it, he's, he's talking to them, and I just see the Jesus that's like, 
now in triumph. I feel like it's the burden, so much of the burden has come off of him. That's how I read this passage. And I, I see almost a humorous light, a little more light-hearted Jesus, personally. And, but he's just saying, like, of course I'm back. I told you. Death was never going to hold me down. And, and this is what the prophet said would happen. Come on, guys. Come on. And, and they're, you know, even with the point where they're just overwhelmed, it says they were, they're still like, this, this can't be real. Like, this is too awesome. And you ever had the disbelief that you're like, this is too good to be true? And that's where they were at. Here's the triumph. But here's the question I have. Why did all of this need to happen? Why did it need to happen? It's because sin has taken captive humanity. And unless we are freed from the slavery of sin, we are unable to be united with God. Romans 3 verse 23, it says, For all fall short of the glory of God. Now, what does this mean? It it means that there isn't anyone other than Jesus who has lived a perfect life. No one. This, and, and this isn't a, a spiritual reality for a few people. This affects all humanity. Everybody has fallen short. And so what does that mean for us? It means that without a Savior, we will not make it to heaven. Without Jesus, you're not going to get there. You know, and so this spiritual reality, it demands that we have a Savior. Because without Him, we're lost. This is our tragedy. Do you understand? Without Jesus, we have a a tragic end. We have a doomed future to be in hell. But that is not what God desires. That's not what God wants for you or for me or for anyone else. You know, in 1 Timothy 2, verse 4, it tells us that God desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. The sincerity of that desire is shown in Jesus. And and because of Jesus' life, death, and burial, burial and resurrection, His story, His victory, His triumph can be ours. Right? And He gives us hope and He frees us from our sin. And I think, I'm going to bring it in here soon, but I want to take you to Romans 6. Because I feel like the Apostle Paul gives us a clear call to action. To what do we do? And, And I think it ties so well back to what Ralph said. What do you do when you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Right? Let's take a look at Romans 6. In verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were therefore buried with Him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly be united with Him in His resurrection. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. And in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to Him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master. Because you are not under law, but under grace. You know, it is because of the grace of God and through our faith that we're saved. When we take part, when we take part in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus at baptism, it's, we are saved by the power of God. We're freed from our bondage to sin and we leave behind our own tragic reality. You know, we get to join Jesus in his triumph over sin. We get to join him in his triumph over death. And so I guess I ask the question, which life do you live today? How do you live your life? Is it the life that follows Jesus in the resurrection? Or is it the life that follows the old way and the flesh and the body and the way you used to live? Has the cross motivated you? Motivated you? Are you living the illogical outcome where you believe but do nothing? Or are we the ones that see the truth, know the truth, and live in a way that's different? I I pray that I will not be a part of the tragedy again of seeing and not understanding. Of, Of seeing Jesus on the cross and and not letting it change and move me. And I hope that you would join me in that, right? Because here is the great victory, here is our triumph, that we no longer have to be the slaves to sin. So that for us, we can have a new life. And we can have hope. And we can have heaven. And we can have a walk with God one day. So what can you take away from this? In conclusion, it says, The cross is a beautiful tragedy. Tragic that someone so pure and good would have to endure something so unjust. And yet it's beautiful because it was done as an outrageous act of love. So that we could be saved. We saw that the tragedy wasn't just on the cross, but in fact that many of the people who had been looking for it and waiting for it their whole lives for the Messiah, that those very people were the ones killing him and not responding. And so we must be sure that we too are not missing the Messiah in our daily lives. That we're not missing our opportunities of putting God before us and the triumph that He has and embracing it as our lives and putting our hopes there. We take away the cross that this... The cross was not the end. The cross was the point of our beginning and the beginning of our triumph. 
I pray that this Easter Sunday we can celebrate this together. Take it home with you. And if you're visiting with us, I hope that you will join us. If you're, this is your first time here, that you will take a, some time to ask somebody to study the Bible. And if you're, you've been a part of the church for a long time, I pray that you will sacrifice to get into a Bible study. To increase your own faith. And embrace the joy of sharing what you have with another. And I I hope that we can celebrate this morning reflecting on the opportunity we have of a new life because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Happy Easter.